I'm Jason Comstock, and welcome to We Happy Few, the podcast that allows veterans and their families to tell their stories. My name is Jean Donaldson. Uh, I live in Soldotna, Alaska, and my husband is uh, Dan Donaldson. He served in the United States Marine Corps from, I'm trying to think, 1968 to 1971. Uh, He was a second lieutenant in the Marine Corps and served in Vietnam. Where were you guys living um, when he first joined the Marine Corps? Uh, We had uh, just gotten married and we were going to school. He was going to school in Logan. Uh, at Utah State, and uh, we had been married about, oh, five months, and he went into the, uh, wherever they have to go with a, with to yearly check-in or whatever. He had just went down to Salt Lake to see about, uh, I, I don't even, can't even remember what it's called now. Uh, the civil service that, that they had to go right. and, yeah. and check in. And he said he talked to a recruiter there and he was really impressed with him and he decided that he needed to join the Marine Corps. And so um, he joined the Marine Corps and then he came home and told me that he had joined the Marine Corps. Uh, had had you guys had any discussions about him joining the military at all before that happened? Oh yeah, we had because it was a big deal. Uh, selective service, uh, you could... You would not have to go into the military if you were in the uh, in school, and uh, you could get a deferment if your wife was pregnant. And we were in school, and I was pregnant, and so, uh, <laughs> so, so we, we he didn't have to go. Yeah, so this he, was something that he'd always wanted. His <laughs> uncle had been a marine, so that was always very. Um, he always wanted to do that. Were uh, what was the attitude of the I guess the the country at this time when he joined. Well, it was it was kind of um, mixed at that time. Of course, I came from the real, uh, you know, pro-American. We we thought the war was, you know, we were supposed to be there, but we were in Utah, so. Uh, and we we believed in what they told us. We. We thought that that's what we should be doing uh, was serving our country, uh, and he wanted to serve his country. So, what was your response when he came home? I said, uh, "You don't have to go in. You didn't have to sign up." Well, I know, but I felt like I should. I said, "Well, you know, you're in school. I'm pregnant. You don't have to go in, but you know." He was quite happy to be going. So, so how long after uh, he had signed up did he leave? It was probably. Well, he left in in. Uh, we got married in August, uh, and he left in June, the next June, to go into the to go to boot camp, and I was about seven months pregnant when he went to boot camp. He left in June to go to San Diego. How do you cope with with suddenly being alone? What did you do? I went and stayed with my mom. I went back home to Heber City and and stayed with my mother. So I wasn't left alone. Uh, 
I was happy to be back home with my mother. I was really homesick for my mother, so that was okay. <laughs> um, and he uh, he went in, was sworn in. Uh, I drove him. I drove him there. I drove him to the to the airport where he was, where he got on the plane, and then I went back home just to wait for Amy. And we figured that he figured that he would be uh, when he finished boot camp that he would be um, sent probably right over to Vietnam because it was, um, he went as, in as enlisted. He was a junior in college when he left. And so uh, when I had, I had Amy in August and he, the day I had, the day I came home from the hospital, he graduated from boot camp, And uh, he was very excited about graduating from boot camp. He was so happy, and that's all he could talk about. And my aunt was very upset that he didn't even ask how I was. <laughs> <So> <laughs> nothing about the new baby, but how excited he was. Because it was quite a different, I think it was much different than it is now when you get boot camp, uh, the boot camp that he went through. Uh, but he was waiting, you know, he was waiting to go to Vietnam so at that point. So let me ask this. Why stick it out? I mean, you've only not even been married for a year by the, when he leaves. Why, why stick it out? Well, uh, we did, you just didn't have a choice back then. That's what you did. I mean, and basically, I think he, I'm trying to think. When I think we got $425 or $400 a month, that's what we got as a, as our, you know, uh, payment for him being in there, which uh, was good at that time for us. I mean, I was staying with my mom. Uh, I didn't have to pay. I had to pay $25 for my first child. So there were some benefits. But uh, his big deal was that he was so excited to get to Vietnam. <clears throat> and uh, uh, then when he, after a couple of months, they just kept holding him back from going over, he found out that he could uh, become an officer. I can't, I, it wasn't augment. I can't think of what the term that they called it. But so then he went to uh, Quantico, Virginia, to officer's training school. That Mar, he came home, the first time he came back and saw Amy was when she was four months old. She was, uh, it was in December, it was Christmas time, and he came home, and she did not like him at all. <laughs> <laughs> did you? So, so, basic training obviously is not the same as combat, but it still can have a great impact on somebody. Did you see a oh. difference in him? Oh yes, yes, completely. He was, he was. His father died when he was uh, thirteen, and he was just kind of rudderless, I guess. I mean, he he just didn't really have a. And the Marine Corps really gave him, it gave him some structure that he had not had, you know. Yeah. So he, and and he lo and he loved it. He didn't like. Apparently, he spent a lot of time in the pits. I used to laugh because he uh, he would have to do lots of push-ups. <laughs> and what but, so what um, is the what is the pit? Uh, it's when, I, I guess when they got in trouble or they did something, they had to go to do lots of work. I don't know. It was. It was quite interesting listening to some of his stories about boot camp back then. Yeah. So in in uh, in March, I went back to Virginia, 
and uh, we went to uh, and he had he graduated from OCS and then they had their training that they had to do before they completed their before they could go anywhere. Uh, so we were in Virginia from from March until about the next August, about, about August, from March to August, like three or three months of training. I think he had three or four months of training uh, after he became a, a second lieutenant. Uh, and that was interesting. Uh, I, Dan, Dan does not like to, you know, he's always late, you know, <laughs> so getting to getting there on time was <laughs> quite, uh, one story he that I will tell you that he came home and it, he said, uh, my my captain is going to call you. You have to pretend like you don't like it here. I said, what are you talking about? He said, well, he asked me why I was always late. And I said, uh, sir, it's my wife. She's not happy here. <laughs> so I, I I said, oh, OK. So uh, they were the the wives were quite nice to me there in at Quantico. So, so uh, now still one child at this point. I still I still yes, I, but but I did get pregnant with Mikey. So then we went to uh, we went from Virginia to uh, San uh, to he went back to San Diego. We went to we lived in San Clemente and he went uh -huh. to Camp Pendleton. Okay, and. Uh, so that took us a month and we were in San Clemente for a month and then he got his orders to go to Vietnam. So and had, had the, had just had the atmosphere in the country or what you were hearing about the war changed at all at this point? Uh, it was getting, it was getting more anti, you know, mm -hmm. uh, there was still a lot of, <clears throat> you know, it, I think that the, that we still uh, that there was a lot more anti-war uh, parades and things going on, uh, but we still were basically supportive of. It. I mean, we yeah. we were just kind of in our little bubble, and he was in his bubble, and he actually wanted. He said he's quite a good writer. He wanted to write about it, you know. He said, "I just feel like I need to go there and." and see what's going on and learn about it. So I came back to, I came back to Heber and stayed with my mom again. <laughs> and he went to Vietnam. He left in, I'm thinking he left in October sometime to go to Vietnam. Um, and Michael was born in December. And I went to, to the same hospital in Provo that I'd had Amy 16 months later. And uh, I had the same nurse, the same doctor. And I said to the nurse, I really do have a husband. Uh, I will bring his picture next time. So I had my first two children with when he was in the military, but um, he, she was born on Christmas Eve. And his story is that he was out on a firefight and uh, it came. They whispered it across the radio that he had a, a, a new daughter, and mother and daughter were doing fine. What was your ability to communicate with him? 
You know, it it was it was basically letters. I think I had. Uh, I don't think I had a. I may have had one call from over there. I think it was when he was in the hospital over there, when he was injured. But basically, it was letters. Uh, I know that because when before he left to go to Vietnam, he said, "I don't care what we have, boy or girl. I want it named Michael." And I said, "Okay." So when she was born, she was born on Christmas Eve. So I named her Holly. <laughs> and I said, we called her Holly for a whole month. It took about three weeks to get a letter from him. And he said, she's not a bush. We're not naming her Holly. <laughs> so my mother said, well, let's name her Michael and like your friend Michael. And so I called up Michael and I said, Michael, and how do you spell your name? <laughs> so now she's Mikey. <laughs> I think this is a good time to thank the sponsors that make this podcast possible. If you support us, please support them. This episode of We Happy Few is sponsored by the law offices of Edward K. Brass. For more information, visit edbrasslaw.com. Be sure to check out some of the other podcasts from the Loudmouth Project. We at the Loudmouth Project want to thank Steve Bingham Hawk and the Salt Lake Marathon for supporting the Salt Lake chapter of Team Red, White, and Blue by allowing them to run the marathon course as a relay. Instead of handing off a baton from runner to runner, they pass a flag and they don't leave anyone behind. They collect runners as they navigate the course. And when a team of about 40 runners finally crosses the finish line, it's something special to see. We got the word that you guys were within range. And then all of a sudden, I see this massive blob of red. So Christy, our volunteer director, and Jen, our marketing director, we all run up there to come see them. And it was incredible. I mean, I was looking at everybody. Carter's crying. Jen's crying. <laughs> Everybody's crying. And uh, and then what was great is the entire event focused back on the finish line at that point. Steve said it was a mission of Team Red, White, and Blue which is to enrich the lives of veterans through physical, social, and service opportunities that moved him to offer the team a -a one-of-a-kind opportunity. I knew we could trust you, and then I knew that whatever you would touch, you you would have. So that was a big part of it. But also, I I love the mission of Team RWB. I wish everybody had a Team RWB, and they can. (laughs) They join because, uh, you know, we all need to be banding together in, in this world that is continually divisive and and rooted in in digital, which is disconnecting us all. The Salt Lake Marathon is the largest team event Team Red, White, and Blue offers its members. It's a chance for them to run for those who've served and to honor those lost in service to this country. So to Steve, Salt Lake Marathon, and to all of our veterans, thank you. What was, uh, obviously you just had a baby, but what was that, do you have any memories of that Christmas, uh, obviously with knowing that, you know, your husband's in war, who knows what he's facing at that moment, but what do you remember about that Christmas? My mother had, my father served uh, in World War II in the Navy, and so my mother had a lot of memories from when she was a, a wife of the veteran. And when I, when she went home, uh, after I had Mikey on Christmas Eve, 
my mother went home and uh, she told me she woke up, uh, Amy woke up and Amy was like 16 months old. So she had Christmas with her and that was very hard on her because she, uh, it brought back lots of memories for her of being, uh, being there with, she said, I, I loved having her, but it was, it was sad yeah. for her. I was just happy to not have to have another baby. <laughs> <laughs> when he did get injured, um, what? How did you find out about that, and and what kind of what were you thinking when that happened? Uh, well, you know, you just go on. Uh, you know, you write your letters back and forth, and uh, uh, I mean, I'm Heber City was a much smaller town when I grew up in it, and. Uh, I had, it was it was strange because I had had a real strange feeling the whole day before and, and that day and uh, I had gone with my two little girls uptown and my, my aunt, uh, my aunt Mabel, who always came over every Thursday, she came to my house. She was at my house. Had, when I pulled into the driveway, I could see that there was a car there that I didn't know and when um, when I pulled in the driveway, she came out and got my, my children, my two little girls. And she said, there's somebody in there that wants to talk to you. And so I walked in and there was the Marine Corps official. And I just didn't, I mean, you just don't even know what to do. You just look at him and he said, oh, it's okay. He's not dead. <laughs> but he had just been injured. <laughs> And I said, oh, okay, you know, and it was, it was quite a relief, but because it was, Hebrew was such a small town the next day, it was all over town that my husband had been killed in Vietnam oh and gosh. I had people calling and I said, no, he's, he's just been injured. He's, he's not dead. <laughs> because you just have this information. It's okay. He's not dead. Yeah. How, how do you, how do you process that? How do you because it's going to be well, a while, obviously, before you hear anything else. Well, you know, you just you go with what you've you've known in your life. And um, my friend's grandfather, uh, Guy Duke, had lived across the street from us. And he had in World War One had had his arm, you know, so that he couldn't use his arm. It just was there, hung there, but he'd have to move it. And so they said he had, it had injured his arm. And so that's what I, that's the only thing that I had to relate to it. I'm thinking. Will he be able to use it? What, you know, how bad is it? So you just kind of have to just, you just worry that it's going to be, you know, something not so serious that, it, you know, will affect, affect him in a bad way. And, so. and does he come home as a result of the injury? No, he, he did not. He was, I don't know how long he was in the hospital, but I think fairly soon after that, they moved his whole battalion out or, or, or his whole, I think he was, I'm not sure. He went over there with the 26th Marines, but I think he was with another group then. Mm -hmm. But he became, they moved them to Okinawa and um, he became the career planner on Okinawa. <laughs> Is his war in Vietnam done at this point? Yes. Yeah, because he was pretty close to coming home. So he stayed in Okinawa for a few months, and then he came home. So uh, what do you notice when he comes home? Completely different. 
completely different. He uh, he was, I, you know, he was much, uh, I'm not even sure how to put it into words, but he had a lot of anger issues that uh, just from growing up, just from things that had happened to him that, that he didn't handle as well. But after going to Vietnam, he was actually much better when he came back. Uh, he had people that he talked to there. Uh, it was it was not an experience that he uh, he loved the camaraderie. Mm-hmm. He loved he he felt a part of something, I guess, and it gave him a lot of confidence that he didn't have. I guess I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't know what the change, but it, he 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 was different. Now I know with a lot of Vietnam veterans and unfortunately just because of the situation and the support that they got um, they don't always go and seek help did he ever go and seek help did he need to seek help no he never he never he never got help he uh, he actually had a pretty good um, I mean he said to me at one time there was a time in our life when when uh, towards I, I think in the 70s, he said, I don't even want to tell people that I'm that I went to Vietnam because every person that's crazy that goes in the tower and shoots people, they're a Vietnam vet and they're suffering and whatever. And so he said, I just don't even, you know, at this point, don't even want to, I don't even want to tell people I was there. So did he struggle, I guess, then as a result of of some of the things that he witnessed and participated in? No, he was actually, when he said to me, you know, if I thought about everything that happened or everything that went on over there uh, that I experienced, he said, I, I wouldn't be able to function. Mm -hmm. He said, you have to know that this is, you know, it's a war. You do things. He said, we didn't suffer any more in Vietnam than they did in World War II or any of the wars. And he said, war is war. And he said, I don't think he felt like a, a lot of times uh, the drugs they used over there maybe were maybe had some impact on some of the impact that they had. But he said, "I feel like uh, we didn't have it any worse than they did in Korea or that they did in Vietnam or that they did in World War II." Mm-hmm. He said, "It and I know that everyone that I know that went to war uh, came back and didn't talk about it much, like in." my hometown i had two people that i knew that were in world war one actually and they just didn't even talk about their experiences they they didn't want to my dad never said anything about it the war i mean it was just something we didn't they didn't talk about it was an experience they had and they learned and but i think they were able to compartmentalize it differently i don't know Mm -hmm. So now, uh, in your work, uh, if you could tell us a little bit about what you do as far as uh, working with veterans at times. Uh, I decided to go back to school when I was like 52. I went back uh, because I wanted to finish my, to get a degree, and I, I actually wanted to go into counseling. And so that's what I did. And uh, I had to... <laughs> I had to do some internships and one of the internships I got was with the vets here on the Kenai Peninsula. And, uh, I worked with, a, a vet, Jerry books, and 
he said, well, I think it will work here. I think you can come here because you've bet your husband's a vet because the vets did not like to talk about anything, you know, if you didn't understand what they were going through. So, but, um, I was very well received. They said, you know, cause Jerry said, you know, her husband was in Vietnam and she, they were married when he was in Vietnam. So I kind of was led into the society, I guess. Mm -hmm. Did, did you, do you feel like that gave you kind of a, maybe a, um, I don't know, kind of an, an inside view of, of what some of these veterans might be struggling with? It, yeah, in many ways it did. Uh, and, and looking at their histories, I know that a lot of, cause basically he had over here, we, he had more Vietnam vets. He had one world war two vet, uh, but they were mainly the vets from the Vietnam War. And what was interesting to me was that a lot of these vets had a lot of, in their in their history, they had a lot of violence in their families. They had a lot of things that they carried with them when they went into the war, and that exacerbated what they had to, you know, either it kind of, they say, make or break you. And a lot of times it, it broke them to go into the that war and, they they didn't you know they didn't um, didn't want to be around people, they didn't. And what was interesting to me was uh, Dan was a state trooper, and uh, he had one vet that w- would cause havoc for everybody. Nobody wanted to go out and when he'd go off, the only person that could really reach him was Dan. He would talk to him, and and you know they just had that camaraderie or whatever it is that they were they respected each other. Post-traumatic stress is a real thing, and it ha- We, I think we, uh, we don't look at it the same as they used to look at it. Uh, everybody has uh, post-traumatic stress. If you've been in a stressful situation, you're going to have some, uh, you know, anxieties after that. You know, uh, when my mother, my mother who could sing very well, she was a country western singer, and she would go down to the Utah vet, uh, the vet's hospital in Utah. Yeah. And she would sing for them when they would have these things. And they called it shell shock back then because these guys couldn't, they wouldn't talk or, you know, she could get them to sing and to music just brought that out in them. But she could, they would wait for her to come. They would, you know, uh, they loved having her come to entertain them. And they would, some people who hadn't talked would talk to her. We don't have, we don't call it shell shock anymore. So it was interesting to see how they've changed um, the parameters of what is uh, post-traumatic stress disorder. And I think it's different. I think that it's different. Military post-traumatic stress disorder Mm -hmm. is different than me not wanting to get on icy roads because I broke my neck in an accident, <laughs> but you're still anxious. You still have those fears, but post-traumatic stress is they've changed it. Even since I worked with the vets, they've changed the way they look at it. Now they don't necessarily talk about it as much as they do something about it. They move. Movement helps. How do your, how do you think your children feel about Dan's service? Uh, I think they're very proud of him. I think that it has given them, uh, they're very patriotic. I think all of them are very patriotic and, uh, 
one of my daughters uh, married a young man and uh, he too kind of grew up without a dad. She said, well, you know, if I'm going to marry, you have to go into the Marine Corps because that's where my dad went. (laughs) (laughs) So he did. He joined the Marine Corps. And basically, it and it was good for him because I saw in him the same thing. He had, it was like, you have now something that you belong to. You have a a group. Yeah. And uh, now when his son went into the military, he said, I want you to go, if you're going to go in, go to the Air Force. <laughs> <laughs> because the Marines fight. <laughs> uh, what advice would you give to a maybe a young spouse, now it could be um, a husband or a wife, whose whose spouse had just joined the military and was getting ready to take off to, you know, who knows where. What what advice would you give to them? I, you know, I'm I'm too old to give advice because I know that it's uh, everyone's everyone is different. And every every situation is different, but I think the one thing that uh, I think having a good uh, spiritual uh, relationship with your heavenly Father, I think having uh, being able to trust and believe. It's going to be hard, but there are things that you will that you will go through that you don't like going through at the time, but will be a great benefit to you as you raise your family, as you grow. It's uh, it's very hard to be apart. I think, and I think it, I don't know if it's easier or harder where you get to talk to them every day, or you can talk to them all the time. Sometimes that is. Everything is a, there's a negative and a positive to everything. So, you know, I just think you just be kind, be loving, Mm -hmm. uh, be hopeful, keep a sense of humor. Join us again for the next episode of We Happy Few. If you have comments about the show, please contact us by email at tips at loudmouthproject.com or on Twitter at loudmouthjason. Check out our website at loudmouthproject.com and navigate to the We Happy Few page. You can also find and subscribe to free episodes of our podcast on Google Podcast, iTunes, and other places where you find interesting shows. Be sure to review our show as well. We love to get your feedback, and it helps grow our audience. I'm Jason Comstock, and until next time, keep listening, keep learning, and stay engaged. We Happy Few is a production of the Loudmouth Project.